You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to the Stateside Podcast. This is David Rossica, and I'm here with the powerful indie folk Americana genre-bending Katie Pruitt. Hi, what's up, Dave? How are you doing? I'm pretty good. This is the first episode that I'm hosting myself, and I'm really glad that it's with you because, honestly... I'm a little scared of doing this, but I know you really well, and um, I know you have your own podcast, the Recovering Catholic Podcast, and it's yeah. So I'm I'm excited to get into it with you and talk about what's going on in Katie Land. Yeah, man, let's fucking go. What's up? <laughs> yeah. So, um, can you give like a quick elevator pitch on who you are for anyone who doesn't know and sort of what you're getting into? An elevator pitch. Wow. Um, yeah, I, uh, damn, I haven't thought about that in a minute. Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, I guess I am what you described. I guess I'm a, I'm a queer indie folk artist whose, uh, focus is about telling stories and, you know, uh, involving my musical influences while I do it, I guess. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. I, um, I find myself sort of like just in conversation around town and stuff talking about you quite a lot. And I don't know if you approve of the way I say this, but I often say you're like if Brandy Carlisle and John Mayer had a musical baby. That's a great compliment. <laughs> I, love Sweet. Those, I love both those artists. So hell yeah. Well, um, so you're from somewhere outside of Atlanta, right? Yes. Yeah. It's technically it's called uh, John's Creek is what it's called. Okay. John's Creek, Georgia. And Uh um, so obviously, you know, being a queer artist in the deep South of America, I'm sure. I mean, I know because I know you and I've listened to your music that Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot to unpack there. So can you talk a little bit about your journey and sort of how you've gotten from John's Creek to Nashville? Yeah, I'd say growing up queer in the South is definitely a big topic in my music and just, you know, sort of in my life and in my journey, at least the place that I grew up. And I think this is the case for a lot of places in the South is like religion is kind of a big focus of like everyone's upbringing. And also where I grew up, it was very, you know, not a lot of diversity in Johns Creek, mainly mainly white people, mainly middle class, mainly heterosexual. I would say solely heterosexual when I grew up there. Um, Or at least if there were gay people, I didn't fucking see them or know about them. So uh, (laughs) there was zero zero representation of that, uh, even as an option of lifestyle where I grew up, which is like – you know, pre TikTok, pre uh, Instagram, a, a super, which is crazy. I guess I'm aging myself. Um, <laughs> growing up, like being in high school, I guess I had Instagram in high school, but not TikTok. I feel like sure. now you can kind of maybe kids can, if they live in that type of bubble, that type of like super conservative, religious, heterosexual bubble, they can kind of, you know, 
like get on the internet and their algorithm will quickly catch up with, you know, um, their, what they, how they want to see themselves or like what they, what type of representation they want. Like the algorithm will probably like feed that to them, but I didn't have that. So I just like kind of assumed that like, you know, being gay wasn't going to be an option for me until, um, until I kind of, I mean, even, even after high school, I moved to uh, Athens, Georgia, which is really just like a really, it's like an SEC school, you know, it's like UGA is there. So it's SEC, it's like hookup culture, sororities and frats. It's like very, very hetero. Um, and, and at least when I was in Athens, there's a great music scene in Athens, um, which I sort of started to get, you know, dip my feet into. But when I first got there, it was, I was just like, I'm I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know. You know, this is just like a bigger high school <laughs> where people are just <laughs> allowed to be drunk all the time and allowed to have sex all the time, you know? Right. So that was like pretty intimidating as like a closeted gay person. And then I think like I just needed to make the jump to another city. Even even a city is like now when you look at it, Nashville and Tennessee is probably more backwards than Georgia um, and Atlanta. But making that jump for me, at least at that time was like super important just to like kind of free myself of like any ideas that other people might have of me. So I could start fresh and like, you know, it start embracing new identifiers that I was scared to use before. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that is sort of the short, uh, explanation yeah. of the journey from, <clears throat> from Georgia to Nashville and, and then obviously a bunch of music, a bunch of songs <laughs> uh, in between mm. that time. But, uh, totally. but yeah. Okay. So to touch on what you were saying earlier with sort of the difference between when you were growing up and, you know, kids in high school now is like, I feel like there's back then it wasn't that long ago, but culturally it's, you know, progressed a long time. I feel like a lot of who people are was shaped by where they were and who was around them yeah, and nowadays exactly. with like you know tiktok algorithms and even places like reddit where people can yeah. sort of just like connect on super niche things it feels like people who people are and especially you know the people are who are like teenagers now mm-hmm. is much more shaped by who who they really are deep inside and and yeah. who they want to be right and yeah. So like, you know, for all of the bad things that we hear about social media, that is one. For sure. I think that's a, that's a big, it's a big plus. And I actually just heard today, uh, you know, states, I, I feel like super conservative places um, are, are really picking up on that and realizing like, oh, kids have access to all this media and all this representation, which to me, obviously, and to you is an excellent and positive thing. But to them, they see it as like some threat. And so in Utah, they literally just, I don't know if this became a law or it's going to become a law, but they're literally passing a law that says kids under the age of 18 are not allowed to have a social media account like TikTok or Instagram, um, unless their parent co-signs it. So like, whoa, which I don't know how the fuck they're gonna. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to monitor that, but it apparently is. It's just. It's just crazy. It's like, 
Um, that's wild, man. I mean, that's like authoritarian shit. Yeah. Like, that's like that's like anti-democracy, anti everything that this country is supposed to be. So I hope that that doesn't actually happen. But it just got kind of got me thinking, like, you know how <laughs> how that is. It, depending on which side of it you're on, like you could see that as a positive or like super conservative legislator could see it as a, a threat of some kind, which is fucking sure. stupid. But uh, <laughs> it's just, I don't know, an interesting point, I guess. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea about that. That's um, it sucks. Yeah, it's yeah. terrible. That's um, a scary warning to where some certain things are heading. Yeah. Whew. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> that up. I just we were talking about no, totally. self-expression and finding absolutely. Your yeah. Well, um, to bring it back to the the music podcast. Right. Um, so in terms of, you know, since you moved from from Georgia to Nashville, would you say that, you know, that had that experience of of moving there and sort of being able to be who you are more publicly? How did that shape and influence the way you approach music? Um, I think, I think it like absolutely was just such a freeing feeling because before I feel like I really had to like monitor myself and like, I was scared to say certain things in songs. And, um, I think like the moment that I started being super honest about my sexuality and my songs, it just became like, I don't know, like, it was like, this magnet of positivity, like the more, even though there's so much fear around it, like once I surrendered that fear and kind of like decided like, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to talk about. It sort of like attracted me to all the right people and all in the right audience. And I mean, the right, like people, I feel like that really did resonate with, with that. And it just felt like it formed this community around me that I really, um, I really was craving for a long time, you know, like people that were like-minded and and felt and thought like similarly to me. Um, so it was, it was awesome. Amazing. It was important. And yeah, it was a big, I feel like it was a big step of just a weight off my shoulders to talk about certain things and in, in my music. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So with your, your debut album expectations, you, you know, as a producer management company, we like to talk about production and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I know that you sort of co-produced that record and that means a lot of different things to a mm -hmm. lot of different people, you know, since you're in the studio working on album two and are you, are you co-producing that one as well? That's kind of undecided at the moment. Um, I think I'm kind of like letting go of the reins a little bit because these guys um, that I'm working with, I just, I've, really fucking love the stuff they've done in the past. And it's like, I, I'm chiming up. Like I'm, I'm talking, I'm speaking my mind. And if I don't like something, I'm like, I hate this and we're, we're redoing it. But um, I'm sort of more so being an outspoken artist, I think than a co-producer uh, in this, this time around. But I think last time around, it really was like a, like both Mike Robinson and I were like working together to figure out what the sound was because there wasn't a sound yet. <laughs> like there was not a sound. Um, there was just like the songs and there was um, my band and the arrangements that we had come up with, which also sort of, 
I mean, the band, my live band on Expectations who played on that record had a lot to do with the production as well, to be honest, because a lot of those arrangements were were sort of set in stone by the time we went in to cut the record. So the parts were sort of like over time had like kind of locked themselves into this grid that like that was kind of not going to change. You know, we had we had come up with all these all these arrangements and there was a couple little things maybe that Mike suggested or that we did differently on the live record that we do live um, on stage. But for the most part, it was pretty much just like, Hey, just play what you play live. And that's what we did. And then me and Mike went in and we sort of polished things up and muted stuff and added stuff and, you know, sure. Yeah. But the gloss on it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that's a, it's an interesting way to approach it. And I'm sure it was, you know, a lot was influenced by COVID and how that has sort of delayed everything. But mm. it's, I mean, even like getting, you know, I had the opportunity to tour with you at the end of 2021. And it was, you know, you were playing some of the songs that were that were new then. I don't know if any of them have made the record, but mm. it was interesting seeing. Oh, made the all, new, made the new record? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It depends on which songs you're talking about. Yeah. Honestly, I don't even <laughs> remember the names of them, yeah. um, but I remember there were a couple ones that were, you know, like sort of in progress and it was really cool getting to watch y'all sort of like try a different thing with mm-hmm. this new song and, you know, actually pay attention to what's working and what's not. And I've right. never, I've never seen a band approach it that way, mm-hmm. but it makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially as someone who, plays a lot of shows it needs to it needs to translate to live yeah i think that um the for me at least the value of road testing songs i mean it's like that's like to me one of the most telling um telling things about like okay am i am i keeping this song or does it need more work like and it's not even necessarily audible feedback that you get like from the audience it's like most of the time it's just a feeling it's like you play a song live and by the time the song is done it's like you know if it's a done song or you know if it needs to go back to the drawing board it's like a feel you sort of all of the insecurities all of the ideas you have about the song once you put it out there for more than just you you're thinking the way like while you're performing it you're like thinking of the things you'd like to change or you're saying, Oh, this really works. This is like, this is done, you know? Um, Mm. but I feel like I like become like when I'm playing, when I'm debuting new songs, I feel like I become like one with the audience of like judging myself and judge, not judging, judging is a, is a kind of a mean word, but like thinking critically about the song. Sure. Analyzing. Analyzing uh, the song. Yeah. yeah I analyze absolutely. it as an audience member, like in real time when I'm debuting it. So it's kind of like a really helpful tool. Yeah. Figure is out. that is that a skill that you've sort of always had and it's just come naturally to you? Or is that something that you had to like develop and learn how to do? I think a lot of artists do it that way to be honest. I mean, I used to have I had like a group of friends in high school that I would like just play songs for and you know, I just kind of gauged their reaction. I gauged my feelings about the song just based on how it felt to play it for other people. I mean, I think that that's just like, obviously music is a communal thing. So it's like an energy exchange. It's like, you can feel if somebody feels 
the same about a song when you're playing it for them. It's sure. like you can feel the energy and you can feel like the emotion. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I I wonder how sort of genre specific that is. Cause like coming from doing a lot of work in metal, the process is very much like let's get the craziest product we can in the studio and mm. then figure out how to make it happen live. Mm. And I think maybe it is genre specific. Cause yeah, I, it's I feel like um, I, a lot of artists that I know with their emphasis, when their emphasis is on the words and on the story and on the, and the music too. But like, if it's a lyrically driven song, yeah, it's like, I kind of, I kind of don't know if it translates until I get in front of people. Sure. Yeah. When you're in the studio and, you know, like you mentioned that you have to sometimes make some decisions that weren't necessarily in line with the decisions you were making when you were sort of like doing your trial run live. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, are you still keeping in mind the, the live spirit of the song while you're doing that? Or is that more, I just have to make sure this is the best possible thing decision for this record. Oh, that's a good point. So like, am I like intentionally leaving like flaws or like certain things like it, like, um, yeah, I, I know, what you, I know what you mean. Uh, cause obviously what's cool to me about a live performance is that you can't edit it. You can't auto tune it. You can't, uh, yeah, I'm definitely keeping that live spirit, I think, in mind uh, when we're cutting. There's like definitely, and when I say I am, I think that Jake and Colin are because because I, uh, I like have sometimes a hard time hearing my voice back in the studio and I have to like differentiate between moments that are like, okay, that really was out, an out of tune vocal and I need to go recut that. Or like, actually, that was kind of cool how I like fell off that note or how I like, there was like that scratchy kind of like, you know, vocal, like, even though that was kind of a mistake, it actually works and it makes it, it makes the vocal, it makes a track like a little more human, a little more live, a little more, you know, like not clean cut, not perfect, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I try to, I feel like I try to keep those moments in mind. Um and I mean, everything that I've been cutting for the second record has started with just me and a guitar. So like, it's, it's pretty fucking live, you know, it's like, I will probably go back and re-sing it most of the time. But some of the, I mean, a couple of the songs that we've gotten, we did, I don't know if you remember the song Suburban Kids. Yeah. Uh, but we literally did it. They wanted to do it to no click. So we literally did it to no click and I was like okay well, this means this vocal that I sing and this guitar that I play is fucking final like we can't go back and yeah. fix it. and they're like I know I know what that means <laughs> and I was like all right that's what we're doing so that's what we did and it turned out really cool and I did like a, another live double of it but it's I mean it's a headache because it's like they're kind of some moments there's a couple moments in there that I'm like oh I wish I could change that and they're not bad but they're just like not perfect and I'm trying to like let go of like not being perfect. Yeah, I don't need to be perfect. You know, like I need to be human. I need to be honest, but I don't need to be perfect. Um, Absolutely. And I think especially because of a lot of the stuff, like the topics that you're talking about in your music are so personal and real to so many people. Like you're not, right. you're not talking about 
aesthetic things that don't matter, or you're not just choosing a bunch (laughs) of pretty words that sound nice together. You're making a statement with your music. It, that makes a lot of sense musically that you would keep it raw and real and human. Otherwise, I mean, it's really, I feel like it's really easy to get stuck in the, everything has to be perfect, but really that's also, I don't really think what most people want to hear, especially people who are fans of you. I agree. I mean, I would say like, as far as the last record goes, like this one is a little honestly more live feeling. And it's funny because we're not cutting this record with a full band live, but it's, it feels more live than the last one because the last one was very, like, very pretty, very glossy, very, like, beautiful sounding. Uh, I want this one to feel like, uh, at least some of the songs, like, I want it to feel like anxiety. I want it to feel mm. like uh, rage. If I'm talking about religious trauma, I want it to feel like frustration or confusion or, like, you know, it's like I don't need it to be, like, a perfectly beautiful uh I don't know. I'm, I'm not looking for perfection on this one. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so then, you know, when you're looking for some of those more, I guess, less pretty feelings that you're trying to capture with with the music, um, what are some of the inspirations for that? Man, I, I've got there's so much there's so much fucking music that I love right now. Definitely. I mean, I don't know, like Radiohead, uh, you know, like fake plastic trees, Radiohead. That is uh, one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah. You know, like his vocals, just like his vocal. It's not like a perfectly beautiful vocal. It's just like real and honest. It's more of like a talking vocal than anything. Um, so I'm literally in my Spotify right now looking at um, <laughs> records that I like. Uh, I love Alex G a lot. Yeah. Kevin Morby I love I don't know I'm 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 into a lot of like I mean obviously the boy genius stuff the Lucy Dacus stuff it's like you listen to which Colin and Jake did as well but like you listen to Lucy's vocals and they're not like perfect you know they're they're human and that's what I love about it you know totally yeah and I'm sure that even if the people who are listening to your music even if they aren't, you know, musicians or producers, which most of them aren't, of course, even if they don't know why, I'm sure it makes you feel more personal, personable to them. And I'm sure they can resonate with it a lot more than if everything was super robotic and right on the line sure. and yeah. perfectly in tune. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So what does the, you know, you're in the middle of your you know the tracking for your second record now what does mm-hmm. your day-to-day look like right now with what's going on there and yeah how's that going uh good yeah i mean i we did like a week already so it's not like the record's done or anything it's it's definitely we just started it um and yeah i mean i sort of have i have three more i've kind of spaced it out to where i have like a week of recording and then a month off, like off which is not really a month off i'm writing every day but yeah i don't know i it looks like what i basically what i normally do i'm just kind of like a little more focused on like making sure i have all the songs before i go in to the studio which i've got most of them but i'm just i don't know you know me i'm just like trying to say it all which i know i can't but um you know I'm just trying to make sure that I put out the best thing I can right now, but also giving myself the, you know, the patience and like the love that I deserve of like, 
if I need a break or I need to step away from it or I'm like at the point with a song where I'm like banging my head against the wall, it's like, all right, time to call a friend or go on a walk or fucking step away from this for a while and be proud of like what you did accomplish, you know? So it's like, it's a going to therapy, it's seeing friends and it's writing songs. Hell yeah. yeah. That's kind well, of that sounds theory. like <laughs> yeah. three um, deeply right. holistic and genuine things to be doing. Sounds like a good, good sort it's of really, mindset. To really hitting the pump track with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if we need to do again. Yeah, actually, let's let's talk about that. So obviously you've been I guess it's probably not obvious to the audience, but it's obvious to me. Um, you know, you've been a skateboarder for for a while. And I know since like, I don't know exactly how old you were when you started, but you've been doing it for a minute. Um, I'm curious, does like that culture and sort of the attitude that comes with skateboarding and, you know, is typically associated with like punk rock, I guess. Um, yeah. Does that have an influence on who you are as an artist? Um, I think more so now than ever before it does. <laughs> um, I think on the last record, I was just trying to say something like incredibly specific. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that like, I love, I love, I grew up listening to like Blink-182 and Green Day and, um, I'm sort of trying to like capture some of those influences. Like, like it's not like the record I'm making is pop punk by any means, but it's like, there's, there's a couple songs that are, I feel like are influenced by that, like angstiness of like my teens um, and those bands and like my chemical romance and you know, like, <laughs> like that type of shit. Um, it's also kind of having a resurgence right now, which I think is maybe partly why I'm like back into skating and, um, so like culturally, I think it's relevant, but I also, I mean, it's like, it's like, I grew up a nineties kid who loved to skateboard. So yeah, like it's, it's never left me. Um, I did definitely put it down for a long time because I kept breaking bones and I kind of had to make a decision. Like, am I going to like keep breaking bones and try to get really good at skateboarding or am, am I going to like play guitar and learn a bunch of songs? Like, I don't know. For me, it was like a crossroads that I hit, I think, in high school. And I picked guitar. I was just like, all right, you know, I'm going to pick one of the one out of two of these. And they kind of contradict each other if you're not careful. So but I, yeah, I mean, I love riding my skateboard. I I'm like, you know, you saw me trying to get the ollie better, but like I, you know, I'm trying to do it safely without having to cancel any shows so if i can get a little better at skateboarding and not have to cancel shows then i think i'm in a good i think that's a good balance <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and uh yeah bones are pretty important for playing shows so yeah, sure. yeah let's keep them intact sure. yeah um i'd love to hear sort of your take on like a state of the union for the industry like where do you think it's headed the music industry and do you like where it's headed? Do you think we're on a good track? Like just what are your general opinions or anything specific that you want to talk about? Man, I think the industry, there's a lot wrong with the industry currently. I think obviously social media has evened the playing field, which is a good thing. I think it's a really good thing. Cause like it, 
takes a little bit. It takes the power out of like the label's hands and the, you know, it's like if I get dropped from my label or if someone else gets dropped from their label, you can hop on Patreon, you can hop on social media, you can hop on TikTok, you can like share your songs and build up an audience and then you can still tour and get the word out about your shows and people will still be in the rooms. Like you're not dependent on these kind of old fashioned systems anymore necessarily. Um, It's definitely harder, but like, so I think that's a good thing. And Spotify is like kind of a good thing because it's like playlists, get the word out, playlists are great, but like they don't pay artists a fucking thing and you cannot make a living. Your song could have a million streams and, or my, I mean, I think out of the blue has 10 million streams. And like, I don't even, I don't think that's a lot of money. I think I've, I've only made like a couple thousand bucks from that, which is great. But like you think about how many fucking streams that is and how little, like the, how the money just doesn't equate. Like you can't, you would have to do that again and again and again and again and release so much music and all of it would have to be successful for you to make any money as an independent artist on Spotify. There are and, other ways, but like, yeah. it's like, you know, merch is a good way. And obviously like touring, but touring costs money. So it's, I think obviously it's hard to have a state of the union. Uh, it's cause I don't know how to, I don't know how to like sum up all the music industry's problems in one sentence, but I do know that the corporations like live nation and, Spotify, well, Live Nation's a whole nother thing, but Spotify needs to pay artists more. And obviously Live Nation uh, needs to stop like putting so many fees on tickets so that people, so that normal people can't access live shows. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a big, I mean, it's just like a big money-making thing and corporations are tapping into artists and they're kind of taking the money away from the artists and putting it into the corporation, which is just capitalism. So there's a lot wrong with it um, for sure, but you know, we're going to do it anyway, even if it doesn't pay, you know, Gillian Welch said that. So it's like, she's fucking right. It's, but you know, keep speaking up about it and hopefully some shit will change and some shit will get better. But well, do you, would you say like, you know, being able to, take a little bit of the power into your own hands and with, you know, the power of TikTok and the lessening the barrier of entry to self-promotion and stuff like that. Would you say that that is sort of like one light at the end of the tunnel? It is, but it's also like, it's a double-edged sword in my opinion, because as awesome as social media is, we've seen the, the negative drawbacks of it, which is like comparison and self-doubt and like mental health issues. So it's, it's a tough question to answer. Cause like, it's, it's a great, it is a light at the end. It's a way to have control. And like, definitely I think people and me included, like changing your relationship to those tools because they're just tools, you know, that you shouldn't put your entire self-worth in a tool, whether a tool works or not, you pick it up, you use it and you put it down once you've used it. Um, and then you go back to living in, in, you know, in-person reality. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I think that if, if, if we get to a point where we can develop a healthy relationship with these apps, which that's such a loaded, thing too but like then yeah i think that it is a sort of a light at the end of the tunnel it's at least a way to feel 
to have a little bit more control than we would have had pre, you know, these apps, like in the, in the early nineties, like artists had to be on a major label, you know what I mean? So there's definitely good things about it. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's obviously it's a super complicated question or topic. And I asked it, I asked you a super vague question. Yeah. Well, you know, we're about to run out of time here, but is there anything that you want to plug? Anything that you want to push the art audience towards? No, I mean, I don't have any. I'm recording now, but I've never yeah. yet. Uh, maybe by the time this comes out, something will happen, but I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, go listen to Katie's unnamed record that has not been released yet. <laughs> yeah. Go listen to the old one. And, and I promise the new one will be out soon. And, you know, we've mentioned Colin and Jake a couple times in this episode. And, you know, I don't think we ever said last names, but Colin Pastor and Jake Finch, both killer producers and engineers. And, you know, definitely give them give them a look. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and bearing with me as I learn how to be a podcaster. Yeah, and, dude. And of course. Yeah. Um, you did a great job. I love this conversation. It was great. Well, thank you. Me too. Yeah. It's um, it's been a lot of fun, and it wasn't nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, well, thanks a bunch, Katie. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.